0: Hello and welcome to the Creativity Snippets podcast with myself, Tracy Stanley, and Barbara Wilson. Uh, we're passionate about encouraging creativity and are co authors of the book Creativity Cycling Help Your Team Solve Complex Problems with Creative Tools. I live here in Brisbane, Australia, and, Brisbane, and Barbara lives in Nice in the south of France. <laughs> Oops, and Barbara is just is recovering from a cold, but I'm delighted that she can be with us today when we talk about creativity in space. It's one of many great topics on creativity, uh, and we've been having these conversations since the beginning of 2020 to provide both information and inspiration on applying creativity to all aspects of your life. H- hello there, Barbara. Have you had a sip of water?
1: Hi. Good morning, Tracy, or good evening to you. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. I try no, to
0: unmute try and
1: mute myself when I have a coughing fit.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, so Barbara and I both had a look at. Um, we're, going to, we're going to talk about creative space today. We're going to reference our own book, Creativity Cycling, as well as this book by Donald Ratner called My Creative Space: How to Design Your Home to Stimulate Ideas and Spark Innovation. And in our book, Barbara talked about um, designing spaces to stimulate creativity at work, whereas Ratner's book was more focused on designing your home to inspire you. Now, the the opening part of Ratner's book is really interesting. He starts with a quote by Winston Churchill, who says, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Very powerful statement that got me thinking. You know, Ratner observed that our homes can be designed to subliminally affect our creativity because they affect how we think, how we feel and how we act. And it it reminds us that people have been designing, intentionally designing buildings for a long time, for example. Um, The ancient Greeks created temples to inspire feelings of awe. Or maybe you've been into um, a Gothic cathedral across Europe, and they're designed to create a sense of reverence. And then there's huge palaces like the the one out of um, Paris and Versailles, which has this strong impression of power. On a more humble scale, if we think about our own home, you know, a, a carpenter could erect uh, a tea house in the garden to uh, create a Japanese garden and a sense of serenity. So it's all about intentional intention. intention. And these few examples show how influential space can be. Barbara, did you want to make any opening comments about the influence of space?
1: um yeah, thanks, Tracy. I think they're that's really interesting, just reflecting on on um the effect of how buildings have been designed and 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 the impression on us um so that's I, I've got in my head now going through the. The impressions of the Sagrada um, Familia in in Barcelona, which is amazing. But yeah, I I think what um what got me from uh, interested in in the book when I picked it up is this whole conversation about um, how you create this space, uh, and you can deliberately, as you said, create a space for creativity to happen on a on a small scale. I mean, it doesn't we're not all building you know cathedrals in order to to kind of change our thinking um i i think that it's almost like when we create a space for creativity happen to happen there's a process of conditioning going on there um you know we're saying like if we have a corner of our office where or a corner of our living room where we're we do things creatively we write or um maybe we do some painting or, or whatever that that creates that sort of conditions us to think that when we go to that space then we'll be creative so there's a kind of it's a bit like having a space in which we can then create a habit around what we do in that space and i think that that that's quite important um so the other the other um, aspect about space I was fascinated about when I read the book was this whole um, thing that uh, Roger Ulrich kind of just dis- discovered. I think people probably were aware of it before, but he was interested in how um, having a view of greenery and having a view of trees from your space, um, and in this particular case, it was from hospital beds. Decrease the time it took to recover from an operation or an illness. So he, he then went on to explore that and he found that people who had a view of, of outdoor greenery recovered far more quickly than people who looked out on concrete. And as I'm saying that, I'm looking at my bedroom, sorry, my office window, it's not my bedroom, my office window at, at beautiful hills, um, lovely sky and lots of trees and greenery. And it certainly is inspiring. Um, So Ratner goes on to uh, propose, he discusses all these aspects and then proposes a series of, a set of actions, which he calls tactics to develop the possibility of creativity happening. Um, And maybe we can discuss these as we we go through them, Tracy. But the first first one is appearance and appenance, so things like design elements, curves, not straight lines, displaying art, um, and then standing up rather than sitting down. And do you have any views on those sort of tactics that, I mean, you're, you're very creative um, also, Tracy, in, in, in writing, and, um, you know, what's your experience of, of creating this space for yourself?
0: I certainly um, I'm a very a kind of a recent convert to a standing desk. I mean I have a desk that I can use standing and sitting, and I never use it sitting. And um because I can stand, I can um stroll <laughs> around my office. And um I I really like it. Now I, I think from there's health benefits from standing, but I just feel much freer just being able to move, to move more easily. Um uh, there, there's actually, yeah, so that, that's just one of those points there. Um, mm. I, I was just, Barbara, I was just going to say one thing. I was just was thinking about when you're talking about habits, uh, you know, and creating a creative space. like so, this is something we haven't talked about, and that's a bit about people who have to hot desk and how, you know, I'd love to know if there's some research done that says if you're going into an office and moving, you have a different desk with a different space and different light, how that impacts upon your creativity. When we recognise that creating a space where we're conditioned to be creative which we can come back to every day has a natural effect of you know kind of inspiring us I was just a sort of a thought that came mm. to me no that, um, sorry yeah no no that was <laughs>
1: sorry no that that's very interesting because i've been talking and uh, quite a, a a lot recently with one of my uh, coaching clients about um this whole well a couple of them about hot desking and you know in some situations people don't even have I mean I, I suppose you have to you always have a different space in which to work unless you're lucky enough to be able to book the same space each time but neither can you have any of your personal things around you because you'd have to yeah. sort of cart them into the office every day so you're you know when you think about I talk about the old days when we all had our offices and we could have photographs and, you know, pieces of art if you wanted, you know, just just small in, in a small way um, around your personal space. Even in an open plan office, people used to create their um, little spaces with with sort of, you know, they were individualized and all that, of course, is lost when you're hot desking. So it's yeah. an interesting point. Um, yeah, but that there's less opportunity really to kind of create that or to have an association with conditioning in in that space unless you can have a you can create it with going into the building in the first place. you know, as I walk into this building, my mind will turn to you know creative thoughts and you can condition yourself that way. Um,
0: but yeah and I guess it depends on what creative spaces are available and how I many, yeah. you know, as we'll discuss today, there are so many things that you know contribute to the condition, you know, noise and light yeah. and other yeah. people. And So, I mean, you've only got sort of like a boring desk and there's lots of other people on a boring desk and it doesn't have great light and it doesn't have a view so you can see greenery. Yeah. All those things are going to come into play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which takes us on to the second set of tactics, really, that... Um, but, um, Ratna talked about, which was, which is ambience. So creating, and one interesting thing about ambience, so he talked about noise, smell, lighting, using our senses or having that ambience created by our senses, stimulating them. And I think this is very individualized, you know, and you're thinking about, he he's talked about noise. Um, some people uh, work really well in cafes, you know, I mean, I I went for my walk along the seafront yesterday and my morning coffee and the usual, my usual favourite coffee place along the seafront. And I noticed more people. Each time I go, there's more people sat there with laptops um, working. And I would say yesterday, almost 50% of the tables were taken up by people that, with laptops open working. Now that's clearly they're not. There's a noise, there's a buzz around the place. That there wasn't. There's no music playing in that particular cafe, but um, there is noise around, and some people find that that element of being surrounded by noise, having people coming and going, um, stimulating. Um, now whether it's stimulating for creativity or just stimulating them generally to get on with with their work so they can get off they can continue with the rest of their lives, I don't know. Um, but for other people, I think they prefer quieter noise. I mean I I, I used to enjoy um, having very sort of calm classical music playing um, and not having lots of chatter around me. I and I can't stand um having say the radio on with people talking you know that that just really annoys me so it would certainly stop me being creative
0: Um, yeah and a bit like if if I've (laughs) got music going I want to listen to it so I mean I don't you know I I find it distracts me maybe if I'm in a phase where I need mind wandering and I'm okay to stop to try and drift off somewhere else but um I do find I stop and listen to it. I would prefer it to be quiet. I mean, with the background noise, like the cafe noise. I mean, I live in the city, and my um, I've measured it. my My city noise is fifty six, except for when the fire engine and police cars go. City <laughs> and I find it's fine. I like that. I get used to that that patter, that patter. And I come yeah. and I sit, get to work. I think you know one thing about. I'm just here imagining you on the seafront, Barbara. One thing that might be invisible is is the lovely fresh sea air. Yes, um, absolutely. And how that yeah, yeah how that inspires mm-hmm. you, as well as the vision of being able to see into the distance. Yes, um, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. It's definitely stimulating being down there, but in a different way. What's interesting, if I go up to Paris, which I go try and go fairly frequently, which is total contrast to to where I live here, then. It's buzzy, it's busy, it's crowded, uh, perhaps not as crowded as London at times, but, um, and I love that kind of stimulator. That really stimulates me in terms of taking photographs. So, you know, for writing, I prefer the peace and quiet and calm here for, and I I can't write in Paris. And um, for going out and doing photography, then I love being in that busy stimulating atmosphere. I think the message here is that, you know, we're all individual. We all have different individual creative pursuits. And it's what, you know, what works for us. Um, You know, I'm thinking about when when I used to design creativity workshops, then quite often I'd have music going, although occasionally someone would ask me to turn it off. Um, And uh, I'd sometimes have sort of we use incense or, or something like that to, to create a, a, a nice smell um, the lighting would be less wouldn't be so stimulating it would be perhaps a bit lower um, so generally and and we, it, it was always helpful to do it in an environment where people could go outside they could go and walk in amongst trees um, especially if they were getting stuck so I think Thinking about that ambiance is really important as a set
0: of tactics. Absolutely. Paying attention to what really works for you. And, and you've just given yeah. some really interesting examples there about as you said, you know, you can do um, photography in Paris, but you can't write. You need to be back in your quieter environment when mm. you're doing that sort of creative work.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. So the third set of tactics that that um, Ratna talks about. Is, is sort of action, and and this is to some extent what I've just been talking about as well. Um, and he says it's really important that people um, get the sleep they want, if that's what works for them, because he's also a bit contradictory, and so it talks about, you know, maybe there are times when um, you you don't need, you you work better late at night. Some people work better, you know, in, some people will get up in the middle of the night and do some creative stuff. Um and he's talks about the importance of napping if you feel tired, lying down, lying down or reclining when you're, you're trying to, to come up with creative ideas. Um, and on the other hand, getting exercise, going out for walks, really important, um, just getting out, uh, doing something different, really stimulating, um, doing yoga, meditation. And he talks about those being a whole set of tactics that we can choose from. To suit, again, it's very individual, to suit ourselves. To, it, it's, I think it's being very self-aware of, you know, what works for us and how do we manage that space so that we can get what works for us, really. And, and that's important. So the worst thing would be stuck in a, an office particularly if you're hot desking with nothing individual around you and not being able to get out, you know, and just having concrete to look out on. Um, I mean, that would just destroy any creativity that I had in my head Um, uh, totally. But for some people, it may work.
0: Yeah, probably not too many, Barbara. And I think from memory, it's actually against the law in France for people to have an office that doesn't have an outside window. I think I remember that when I worked there that there weren't any offices because that was, you know, I, I think it was more than cultural that it was legal, that it was considered nearly yeah. like a right to be able to sort of look outside. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. It depends what you're looking out on, of course. Some people yes. have <laughs> don't always have pleasant views. So the the question then is um, So how does this link to our experience of creativity? And I think we've been talking about that as we've been going along. Um, I think there's there's one you know this, the book very much focuses on physical space and how we can create that. Um, well, I think the other thing that we we kind of skirted on here, which I think is important, is when he talked about um, having that space in terms of you know creating um, soft spaces like curves and not straight lines. When I've been facilitating creativity workshops, I've always almost insisted that we have circle or semicircle seatings, uh, seating, um, and you know a lot of people in in offices probably don't have that kind of creative space where they can sit in a semicircle without desks imposing themselves in the middle, um, and and that's probably an important point as well. So. Just to kind of sum that up for me, it, it's that physical space. What we need to be aware of is, is what works for us, what works individually for us, what works for us as a group, if we're working with a group. And how do we create that as best we can? You know, we can't all have the luxury of being able to walk by the sea um, and, and just go out there and do that or walk by a river or walk in the woods. How do we create that space when we haven't got that Um but there's another element of space that I think is important here. And, and he, one I don't think he really he addressed in, although it might be implied, um, but he didn't address in his book, and that's emotional space. So I would say that, that that's really important. People can't get into a creative zone when they're worried or uptight or stressed. You know, it, it, it's really difficult to, to get into that. That uh, that creativity, that feeling of, you know, you need to be relaxed and positive as a frame of mind to allow that creativity to come through. Um, I mean, Tracy, do you have anything you would say around that?
0: Yes, yes. It's um just the thing about emotional space. He talks about. I mean, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago about having um, familiar things, photos or memorabilia around you. Mm. And he talked mm. about they they connect you to positive emotions. And also if you create a beautiful space, that it, that connects you to positive emotions as well. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, that, that's one thing that he t- said that completely made sense to me. I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll talk in a few minutes about the things that I thought made sense, the things that surprised me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. And he also made reference to having space to be creative in a, and he, you know, I guess, made reference to corporations like, well, lots of corporations that have whiteboards everywhere with colourful pens so you can be in a space and write things and capture things, um, which mm-hmm. can be easily shared with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I mean,
1: I think I think it has, it, it, it is about, you know, I mean, the whole thing about creating that space is really important, creating the space to be creative however we do it. Um, but yeah, emotional space is really important. I think that the last thing I'd say on that is also to be aware of whether you work better in a group or individually um, in terms of creativity. And maybe it's the phase of the creativity that you're in that might determine that. You know, so um, I, I'm much more creative as a photographer when I'm on my own. Um, although I do like to... You know, it's also quite fun to be going out on a photo walk with a group of other people. It's always better if we go out and don't really interact. Um, you know, we might be walking in the same direction with a with the aim of meeting up at a certain time at a certain place. Um, but it's that it's that being in individual. It's it's being on your own, seeing things from your perspective. You know, the worst thing. For me, for my creativity, is having somebody say to me, "Oh, look, that's an interesting thing to photograph." <laughs> it just switches <laughs> me off, <laughs> and I won't go into who has a tendency to say that. Um, but <laughs> so you know, we need to be aware of those things as well. Some, you know, when I've when I've create had create run creative workshops, inevitably they've been in a group. And there are lots of activities that do work best in a group. You know, we've often, we've talked about these over the years, Tracy. Um, the different techniques, like some brainstorming techniques. Yeah. Um, clearly, they work better when you've got other people to bounce ideas off. And, uh, however, sometimes we need alone time to really let our uh, creativity through. And writing, in particular, is a very individual. It's quite can be quite a lonely creativity. Yeah activity but yeah
0: so it's not well so just yeah i completely (laughs) relate to that i wouldn't use the word lonely it's like i get i get lost in my thoughts i i love to have time on my own and to have not be interrupted for a long time when i'm writing and i hadn't it's only as i've gotten older that i've realized how important that is to me and i'm really strict about it like don't you know please don't interrupt me you know i just i want to be in my space and even if you hear me walking around i'm walking around and i'm doing my thinking and doing my imagining and yeah. but, I also recognize that there's times when there's just I, I hear other people talking to each other and i and I bounce ideas, and I get things to, my own perception gets gets challenged, and um I, I explore new opportunities. So there's a time for for, for both yeah. Yeah. So when i'm when I'm writing really on my own, but when I'm perhaps in an exploratory phase, I really do benefit from going out and talking to others and being with others and being involved in different sorts of activities that help me to to think differently.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting as well. It's those different phases of creativity that, that are important there. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Tracy. So Tracy, which of Ratna's ideas resonate or surprise you?
0: Okay, well, obviously I, I would love to live in an apartment that had a ten-foot high ceiling. Um, and I completely can see that having cathedral ceilings and light flooding in would really affect my creativity but for many of us we don't necessarily have that the financial or the physical means to do that so um it's about looking at where you're working and if you know if it's possible to work in a space that has has those elements but working around it if, if it's not available um the thing about space that also the, the thing that surprised me so that yeah, that didn't really surprise me, but I, the way it was worded, I kind of thought, oh, well, not everyone has that potential. But there was something about facing your space. He says it's really important you don't sit in your office with, you don't have your your back to your space. And it's interesting. So I'm in, um, I'm basically in a converted bedroom and the doors behind me and the windows behind me. And I actually do feel quite vulnerable because of the way it's set up. Uh, and I know I prefer to have the door shut and so forth so people can't come up behind me, not that there's any people who will do that except from my husband. And I also can't easily look out the window, well, practically because in the afternoon I get the western sun and it's a bit too hot. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. And if I could design my space, I prefer, you know, perhaps to sit and have a bookcase behind me and to looking out into my space and preferably to looking out the windows. So um, that was just something that got me thinking. Um, He talked, and this surprised me and I've been thinking about it, Um, he talked about um, having subdued lighting rather than bright lighting. Um, He says it helps your brain to wander more into uncharted territory. Um, And I realised that I I do that. I actually have. I don't have the main light on. I have two side lights in addition to the the light over the back that comes in from the west. Um, And I didn't realise I'd intuitively done what he suggested. Now, I don't know, Robert, do you have any comments to make about lighting? Well, I think Barbara must be coughing. <laughs> Let me just add another cough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think in in terms of lighting, yes, I think I mentioned earlier that, that uh, when I've run creative workshops, I've tried not to have bright lights, um, and to try yeah. and dim the lights. For me, I think that's quite important. I mean, I I I'm, and I do see the effect of, you know, having a nice fire and and, and candle that light around um and I hate bright light uh, myself yeah I'm not sure about being creative because uh, you know photographers love light so it's, there's also a yeah you know I, I I'm attracted by the light I I love it when I see um and at the moment one of my favorite things is to take silhouettes against the light so yeah light can be important in some creativity activities and, and not necessarily in others. So, again, I think it depends on, you know, what you're doing there.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, he talked about, and I guess I'm, I'm going to use the word magic, about looking into a fire as mm. a way to stimulate creativity. And I remember I love it, like on a cold night sitting in front of a fire, I'm watching the logs burning and maybe you throw a pine cone in and it crackles. And it, there's something magic about the way the flang, flames dance about. Um, And maybe it sends you thought, you know, it's very therapeutic. And I guess that is, again, creating the conditions for creativity. I hadn't thought of it in that sense. I just thought of it in terms of a very pleasurable, mesmerising sort of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What else did he talk about? Um, I want to pick up on something else you said, Barbara, about some people are morning people and some people are late people. And this is something that surprised me that he said. He talked about, well, we should exploit our groggies, he said, and let me explain what that means. He says that basically if you're a morning person, you should stay up late. and If you're a late person, you should get up in the morning to do something creative. And I kept thinking, well, that's a bit crazy because my brain isn't fully working. And and I guess that was the point that sort of when you're in this kind of, I'll use the term kind of semi, semi-awake semi state, maybe you kick into a different sort of thinking and that might allow you to see different possibilities or situations because your brain isn't fully at it sort of, I guess, perhaps it's most analytical. Um, I don't know, Barbara, did you have any, have any thoughts on his comments on exploiting the groggies?
1: It's an interesting one, that, Tracy, because I'm not a morning person, as you probably know, and um, I'm not a morning <laughs> person. However, I've been on um, photo workshops where, with one particular photographer who loves to take go on very early morning walks. I know a lot of photographers do, and um, I've I've gone on these on, on workshops, and actually really enjoyed the whole thing about being out when, you know, the rest of the world is probably still sleeping. Um, I I don't know that you know I, I actually think at that point I I wake up because my my senses start to sharpen up, so I'm I don't think I'm doing this in a groggy way when I'm doing it, but it it certainly brings out a different perspective on the world um if you can go and do something at a time that you wouldn't normally be doing it I think that I'd say that but I'm I'm not sure about yeah I've I've also um got up in the middle of the night with you know how you know how we have these dreams and they disappear very quickly and sometimes (laughs) I have this dream and I think wow that's really interesting I need to capture this and I've, I've gone downstairs and made a, good, a cup of tea and sat and, and written, and I've written quite a lot. Um, I can't do that very often, I have to say. <laughs> it's just not yeah, in yeah. my nature to be able to do that. However, when it has happened, it's been quite fruitful. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: there's, there's different sorts of writing. It's interesting. So sometimes I, there's, there's some people, some other writers say, you just get up and you start writing. So I sometimes will roll out of bed at 4 o'clock and I'll come and I'll just and because I'm a bit tight, I just write. I just write. I get the story mm-hmm. down. I don't, you know, I don't pay any attention. I just sort of, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and force myself through it. And it's interesting how it kickstarts me. Um, I do sometimes then shift back to my, I guess, my more normal state of getting there and thinking more deeply about what they're saying and what they're positioning and what's happening. And, and I guess thinking about it more rather than just pumping the story out. And I yeah. think there's a place for both. I mean, that. It isn't my natural bent just to sit there typing. and Though I'm trying to do it because I because I recently read a book by James Patterson who talked about you know, summarising everything first before you start, which wasn't something that I'd done. I'd, I'd been more sort of kind of intuitive, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so it's interesting. So I'm experimenting. I'm experimenting and I get Good. different benefits from different approaches. And um, when I finish this current book that I'm working on, I'll let you know how it goes. Actually, I should probably try and track my time to see how much of my time I'm doing. Well, thoughtfully and slow process and how much I'm doing. Because, I mean, I'm really, you know, I really want to move. I get frustrated with myself for moving too quickly. But then I think, oh, it's rubbish what I'm spitting out. And anyway, so all these, then I start overthinking things and I get nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's probably all I want to say about the uh, the grogglies. And, in fact, that's probably all I want to say about a book that's a really, really interesting book um, and, you know, provided a good context for us to have a conversation about, our own environments, as well as our experience in working in um, creating environments in the workplace that um, yeah. stimulate creativity. Yeah, Barbara, do you uh, want to kind of wrap up, sort of what yeah, you know? Yeah,
1: I will do. Thanks. Yes, interesting discussion. So three three things I think to wrap up with. One is pay attention to your immediate environment. Does it work for you in facilitating creativity? If it doesn't, then what do you need to do? Within reason, think about the use of other senses, stimuli, music, lighting, etc. How can that help you? And the third thing is don't neglect your sense of emotional space, address that. That, that, I think that's really important. So, thanks for listening in, everyone. If you'd like to learn more from our experiences, you can find myself at barbara wilson.com. And Tracy at tjstanley.com, and you can buy our book, Creativity Cycling, help your team solve complex problems with creative tools on Amazon, Google Play, and Book Depository. Wishing you a creative day and a safe and inspiring Christmas. Uh-huh. Um,
0: thanks, and thank you, Tracy. <laughs> Take care. Okay,
1: thank bye you. Bye.
0: Get well. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye bye, bye bye, everybody.
1: Bye.